Welcome back to Star Wars Escape Pod and another episode of Rebels Talk, where we go way back and talk about Star Wars Rebels, which, believe it or not, has been a number of years since it's uh, been finished, since it came out. Uh, we are currently in Season 2, and as always, check the description in the podcast episode and you will find a list of episodes that we talk about in the present podcast episode, so you know which ones to watch before you listen. Uh, today, we are heading headfirst into Season 2, Episode 13, 14, 15, and 16. This is Rebels Talk Part 9. Let's join our co-host, Blake, and get into it. Another happy landing. Hello there. Hello there. And welcome back to another episode of Rebels Talk. Uh, good to have you back, sir. Thanks, man. Something I wanted to call out, because I keep forgetting to do it, but I, I notice it every time we do the intro. So, did, did you notice that in the, the Han Solo song we listened to, he says, I got my picture in the palace zoo. I got my picture in the palace yeah. zoo. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I don't know why he's so happy about having his picture in the palace zoo. Is that what he says? I looked it up. It's not quite, but it's actually really close. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, it'll always be Han Solo. Having his picture in the palace zoo. Nice. What does he actually say? Uh, ain't no fixture in the palace zoo. I don't even know what that means. And it doesn't make any sense where it is. So I think they just couldn't think of anything. That doesn't make any sense. Huh? Yeah, let me read the whole section here. It was, um, no Jabba to answer to. Ain't a fixture in the palace zoo. No. <laughs> <laughs> and since that carbonite's off me, I'm living life now that I'm free. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I heard the uh, the non Star Wars version of this song in a in a, in a store uh, in <laughs> in funny, England because it was a really popular song. It is, yeah. And 15, well, 20 years ago. Yeah, and I heard it in on or on the on the radio or on a playlist or something when I walked into some gift shop in Scotland of all places. You're like, wait a minute, that's the, like, that's the podcast song. Yeah, and I was like, all I can think about right now is. Is the Star Wars diversion of our podcast yeah. theme? Yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> dang, like this. Wow. And then, yeah, I, I, I told that to Robin, and she just kind of like, eh, just didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, babe. Yeah, all right, you do what you do. Uh, season two, episode thirteen, the Protector of Concord Dawn. 
written by Henry Gilroy and Tony Hopps, directed by Brad Rao, premiered January 27th, 2016 on Disney XD. Guest stars Kevin McKidd and Keon Young. With the Empire tightening its cordon around Lothal, the rebels look for a new smuggling route. Hera and Sabine head out to the world of Concord Dawn to request safe passage from the Protectors, the Mandalorian faction that controls the world. However, the Protectors reveal that they have sided with the Empire and immediately attack. Hera and Sabine escape, but Hera is critically wounded. And it's also worth mentioning a pilot or two die in that battle. Kanan and Sabine return to Concord Dawn, with Kanan still wanting to negotiate with the Protectors and Sabine wanting to get revenge for Hera. They discover the Protector's leader, Fen Rao, is being bribed by the Empire. Kanan meets with Rao, revealing that Rao had saved his life during the Clone Wars. Meanwhile, Sabine attempts to sabotage the Protector's fighters, but is caught. She reveals to the Protectors that she is, in fact, from House Vizsla, and challenges Rao to single combat. Working together, Kanan and Sabine capture Rao, and he agrees to allow the Rebels safe passage through Concord Dawn. So, uh, this was an interesting episode, revealed that House Wren, uh, or sorry, Clan Wren, is in fact under House Vizsla. So we're getting a bit more insight into the Mandalorian way, and like how the clans and houses kind of work. Mm -hmm. Like the clans kind of there's are umbrellaed by, yeah, yeah, there's multiple clans under a house. And, and they fight right? for one house. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that was kind of interesting to discover. Uh, I feel like since the Mandalorian show has been a thing, this has become more important. Mm -hmm. It's, it's uh, to understand, you know, this sort of aspect and lore. You know what I mean? That's true. We're getting yeah. a lot of Mandalorian stuff. Yeah, we are. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, Fen showed up in uh, the Kanan comic book series, which was cool to see him return. Um, but the Canon comic series was actually done after I believe this episode came out. So it was retroactively put into Canon in a chronological earlier point in time. Uh, however, if anyone hasn't read the Canon comic book series, it has been slightly overridden, overwritten in Canon with the premiere episode of the bad batch. And oh, I say that to all take place at the same time. Yeah. So I say that because, um, Chronologically, I don't know when the canon comics takes place during Rebels, but at some point in the Star Wars Rebels talk, I mean, I'll have to slot it in somewhere. Um, there's a moment where, I guess now would probably be a good time to bring it up. I guess <laughs> um, there's there's a moment in in the beginning of Star of the canon comic book series, which is two volumes, and I believe it lasted for like twenty something issues, maybe thirty, and. Uh, it was basically the origin story of like how Caleb Doom, Kanan, Jairus, survived the Purge. And in the series, you see uh, him as a grown-up with the, the crew of the Ghost. And they're in a, in a pickle. <laughs> and uh, I, I believe he either begins to tell the story of how he survived or, or he has a mental flashback. But it kind of goes back and forth a little bit between the past and the present. And that's how you discover his story, right? So throughout the course of the series, like there's 
you see the moment that oh, Depa Palaba. Because he stows on the ship and then he Yeah, and he meets that pirate guy yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah you yeah. see the moment that Depa Balaba's gunned down and she how she tells him to run. Yeah. And in the Rebels animated series, that that, that is happens. that yeah. is the last he says to the Inquisitor or Tarkin that you know the last words that his master said to him was run right, and so that was all consistent. So this comic book series was really designed from what we knew in Star Wars Rebels, right? But then when the Bad Batch came out, Dave Filoni decided to change history a little bit, and the environment as well as where they are, who they're around, and everything was totally different. So the way that they depicted Kanan and his master's like Order 66 moment was actually on a, a different planet. The Bad Batch was not involved. They weren't there at all. And uh, there were different characters sort of involved in the story. There was no waterfall that he jumps over on the cliff, right? All that stuff. So I had a bit of an issue with that sort of scenario. And it's the same with the Ahsoka novel and the Tales of the Jedi animated series as well. It's it's sort of Dave Dave's story giving notes to an author to write a certain story in a book and then overriding it in an animated show that comes out after. So again, it's like it's a gripe that I've got that I'm like, ah, like, why? <laughs> you know, right. like why not just leave the continuity the way it is, right? So yeah, it's a good question. That aside, the series is great, and it's they slotted Fenrir in there to show the battle that they always have he an was in. Though we're just like, oh, his memory was just a little fuzzy. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, so I don't know. I guess it's, it's true like, from a certain, certain point, point of view. That's right. Yeah, from a certain point of view. Hey, Obi Wan, did you? Uh, did you steal those Bantha burgers from the grocery store? Well, it's only stealing from a certain point of view. <laughs> What's the other? Well, uh, from their point of view. <laughs> <laughs> Next time you commit a crime, just just throw that out there. That's from a certain point of view. That'll work. That'll hold up in court. Yeah. Uh, the Mandalorians on Concord Dawn are being paid off by the Empire. And I thought that was very well explained as to perhaps it comes in later. Uh, the Mandalorian stuff, you know, it all comes up later in the series. But uh, I thought that was a pretty cool sort of hook, I guess, to reintroduce the idea that at the end of the Clone Wars, these people kind of got back to warrior status again mm -hmm. and They're back to being back to being who they are yeah. yeah and and now what how do they, how do they how do they go about what they do under a galaxy ruled by an empire right so it was one of those little perspectives that sort of put into place just kind of what they keep busy with in their spare time right and for the most part it's the empire leaves them alone so long as they comply and they get paid off for it because like they Rome. know that, yeah, yeah, because they know that they're a fighting force. Like they, they could be an annoying adversary. Um, so to make life easy, it's like here's some money. Yeah, keep them happy. Yep. Did you look up the backstory of the Concord Dawn? Uh, so Concord Dawn in the Clone Wars was introduced as the the moon, I believe, of one of the moons of Mandalore, isn't it? I think it was, a, or a planet in the system. And I believe it's also the same planet which pre-Vizsla and Death Watch and stuff were 
Uh, okay, so it's the name of the plant. I thought it was a clan. Or maybe I'm thinking of Concordia. They've got very similar names. Oh, yeah. I think I'm thinking of Concordia. But they got very, they've yeah, got very similar names. When I looked up Concordon, it said they were members, including the, the trainers, the Mandalorian trainers who trained the clones. Yep. As well as it was a very prominent uh, group of Mandalorians that kept showing up in the Karen Travis. Right. Commando novels. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's, you're right about that. Yeah. When, when the name Con- uh, Concord Dr- Dawn got dropped, something back in my head was like, I recognize this from something. Right. Like, this is a cool, like, recanoning, I think. Yep. The, uh, the, the planet did show up. It was mentioned in uh, the third Republic, sorry, the second Republic Commando book, Triple Zero. Is that Concordia? And the fourth one as well. Uh, that was, yeah, uh, no, Concord Dawn. It's a planet from this one. Uh, yeah, so in the EU, it was a it was a planet that was mentioned okay. in the EU. Yeah, it was also mentioned in the Old Republic novels as well as Jango Fett Open Seasons, which was like an origin Dark Horse comic book series for his character, and uh, a few other stories. Yeah, I saw one so. was like Boba Fett, like life of, and the next one was like Boba Fett is dead. Yeah, chuckle. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, so Concord Dawn, famous as a, as the homeworld of many elite warriors, including the bounty hunter Racco Hardin, which is uh, yeah. also known as the bounty hunter that Obi-Wan assumed his identity mm-hmm. when he went undercover to uncover the plot of the kidnapping of the Chancellor back in the season four of the Clone Wars. He was from Concord Dawn. Yeah, Racco Hardin, yeah. So technically, I guess that makes him Mandalorian. Yeah, right. exactly. I was wondering that too when I when I saw that. Yeah, and that's part of the reason why they gave Racco Hardin a prototype. Well, he was a Empire Strikes Back Boba Fett prototype helmet. So the the the, the helmet that they had originally designed oh, yeah. for the yeah. character, yeah. they mm-hmm. used one of those offshoot designs that they ended up not using for yeah. Ra- for Racco's. Yeah, it was helmet. like the original yeah. Ralph McQuarrie design or something. Yeah, yeah. So I thought that was pretty neat, and uh, yeah, so Conquer Darn everybody. Um. That's all I got. I mean, Pablo points of Pudus. I don't know. Do you have anything else? Or it's another one of those episodes where it's cool. They add some new recanonization of stuff. We've seen a few of that. I mean, this last podcast episode, we were just talking about it with the Benedictor class Star Destroyer. Yeah. It's always cool to see recanonization of stuff. Mm-hmm. We're seeing Sabine grow a little bit in this episode. Yep. Because she wants to to kill. Yeah. Uh, first time I've ever seen her with like a bloodlust sort yeah. of thing, right? And then she was like a step ahead. So like how bloodlusty was she? You know what I mean? I don't know. I was kind of surprised though that she totally bested him in combat so easily. Yeah. I was was like, dude, this is like. He's like the leader of their clan. He's like twice your age and like has all this battle experience. He's so so old. Yeah. How would she just. Yeah. (laughs) Like, like, I don't know. I guess. I guess so. Yeah. That was a little iffy. Yeah. The other thing though was. So they wouldn't let them pass through the their system, and so they just kidnapped him. And so they're like, okay, you can do it. Yeah. So <laughs> Cannon explains that. He does. The end, yeah. But I'm, I'm still it was like, kind of funny though. I don't know. It's like a bit of a bit of a t- quick turnaround. I kind of get it because Mandalorians, you know, you respect the strongest warriors. So they got bested. Yeah, and also if they reported that to the Empire, like they would start to get involved, and that's what they don't want. Yeah. Exactly. So. They're it's only going to work for so long. That guy's going to show up again looking for him, though. Exactly, yeah. So what I thought was weird is, like, he killed a bunch of rebel pilots in that first opening to the mm-hmm. episode. Yeah. And then at the end of the episode, they're all friends. So it kind of reminded <laughs> me of, like, <laughs> Fast and Furious a little bit. 
Okay. And like in one of the later Fast and Furious movies, like uh, one of the villains, like he's he's like you you there's so much confusion with like some of the later plot lines, but like he's basically like it's it's assumed that he kills Han, like the mm. the Fast and Furious Han, not Star Wars Han, and. Uh, all the characters are like going after him for like revenge and like he's all he's doing this because like they killed his brother in the previous episode turns out they didn't he's actually just like in a coma in the hospital and they like basically at the end of the movie like vin diesel's character like dom and like him like they're like going at it like hitting each other with like crowbars and like just like trying to kill each other right and you know in the next movie the same character like saves his son like off a off a plane like it saves new the movie, new story, and then oh, they join the family that. barbecue. Yeah, right. The barbecue. The, the barbecue. The, the family Corona barbecue. funded family barbecue. You can have any beer you want, as long as it's a Corona. <laughs> exactly. That's uh, that's all that's here. <laughs> um, <laughs> anything else? Man, is that a is that a is that a uh, Coke in the over there? Nope. Nope. That's that's a Corona. That's just more Corona. You don't see anything. <laughs> uh, Somebody get this guy out of here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, so it kind of reminded me of that. It's like, ha- that's a really quick change of heart. This dude just murdered, like, two of your, two of your uh, pilots. Like, now he's... Yeah, I kind of forgave pretty quick on that. Especially because, yeah. as we find out, I think, in, like, the following episode, that they're running out of pilots. <laughs> yeah, it's like... It, well, and that's something that Harris said. Like, oh, we're, we're losing pilots faster than we can recruit them. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, well, you know, now you're... Now you're making sandwiches for this dude? Like, yeah. <laughs> what's guy going like on killed here? Everyone. Yeah. Anyways. Um, I would say one Pablo point. Yeah. It kept me engaged. You know, I was interested in the in the Mandalorian offshoot group from Concord Dawn. It was cool to see Fenner was a cool character. It was cool to see the Mandalorian Starfighters again. Uh, there was enough to like about it. Sabine's bloodlust, you know, Kanan's like Jedi sort of approach to the situation. I was surprised that he wasn't more angry considering yeah. they're like pseudo dating. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. And then and then of course the whole like him jumping on the the, the fighter as he as it took off and having that kind of aerial moment where he That was cool. That was Actually, cool. The, yeah, the fight on top that was of the, the Mandalorian fighters. Yeah. Yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah, cuts it all up and rips the guy out. One Pablo point. Yeah. I'm hesitant to give it just like a, a hair more, but I think, yeah, one public point. Sweet. Did we explain in our rating system? Yeah, so uh, seven, uh, score of seven. Three Pablo Pudus, the absolute worst of the worst. Moving up from there, you got two Pablo Pudus, one Pablo Pudu, 50%. That's a Bendu. Bendu, the one in the middle. And then we got Pablo points. One, two, and three Pablo points. Three being the absolute best of the best of the best. 100%. So... One Pablo point, it's not bad. It's like it's, it's a like, passing grade. It's like between sixteen. And it's 70, good. Probably. Like it's not great, but it's yeah. like it's good, right? That's it's all I really shot for in life when I was going going to school. I yeah. To pass. Hey, you get a good wanna, grade. I didn't want to try too hard, put too much effort into it. You know, I got other things to do. Just wanted to get over the line. You got good grades. The future's so bright. <laughs> you got to wear shades. All right, season two, episode fourteen, Legends. Of the Lasat, written by Matt Mishnovitz, directed by Saul Ruiz, premiered February 3rd, 2016 on Disney XD. Guest stars Jim Cummings, Gray Griffin, Gary Anthony Williams. Following a tip from Hondo, the ghost crew rescues a pair of Lasats from Imperial custody, Chava the Wise and Gron. 
both whom uh, recognize Zeb as captain of the Lasan Honor Guard. Shava and Gron explain that they are searching for a mythical world of uh, the mythical world of Lirasan, where the surviving Lasats can find refuge. However, Zeb is reluctant to help due to his guilt over failing to protect Lasan from the Empire. With some encouragement from Ezra, Zeb transforms his bow rifle into its true form and combines it with Chava's staff, revealing Lirasan's location in uncharted wild space. However, they find their way blocked by a dense cluster of black holes while Agent Callus pursues them. Trusting in Chava's wisdom, Zeb uses the energy from his bow rifle to create a protective field around the ghost, allowing it to navigate the black hole cluster safely. On the other side, they find the world of Lirasan, which is the true home planet of the Lasat people. After dropping off Chava and Gron, Zeb decides to stay on the ghost in order to find more Lasat survivors to guide back to Lirathon. It is in this episode that the ancient names of the sides of the forest are first revealed by Chava, calling the light side the Ashla and the dark side the Bogan, and repeated by the Bendu on Adelon in a later episode of Star Wars Rebels. Spoilers. <laughs> Too late. Too late. Uh, too late. Uh, so Hondo and Ezra have kept in touch. They've got a set of communication devices there. This is the slimiest we've seen Hondo in a while. Yeah. Yeah, it he is. Switches sides, I think, three times or four times in ten minutes. I smell profit! <laughs> yeah, he's anything, anything for a, for a I buck. I can see right? how this would look incriminating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so good. The Lasats have taken up religion and no longer fight uh, to Zeb's disbelief. Uh, which he, part of the honor guard, that's what he knows, right? He's a warrior, right? So when he meets these people and uh, what's this guy, what's the guy's name? Gron. Gron is like, oh, that's not our way anymore. He's like, what? Like, what the heck? <laughs> yeah, he's become a pacifist. Yeah. Like, like, what what happens? Like, I've got an ancient, like, battle, like, thing here. I mean, like, in my hands, like, what, like this, is, this is the way of our people. It's like the opposite that the Mandalorians... You know they're 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 going back to their original warrior roots. Mm -hmm. Like the Lasat, the Lasat people are moving away from it. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Always in motion, the future is. Yeah, exactly. What do you think of this idea of Zeb being that not just an honor guard now, but the high honor guard, as in like the the leader of the honor guard, probably the best warrior, maybe on the planet. I think it's cool. I mean, I, I would like to know the connection between where we see his character storyline end in the end of Star Wars Rebels to where it ends up in his cameo in The Mandalorian in Season 3. That's a good question. So, you know, again, spoilers. But uh, obviously anyone who's kept up with Mandalorian has probably seen Zeb. Uh, and he is working as a pilot for the New Republic. And I would love to know just kind of where they bring his character from where we know him to be at the end of Rebel Season 4 to that moment where he's working with the New Republic. Because the last that I remember, he was actually going, again, spoilers, he was going back to this place. Okay. To his home world. Yeah. Lyrason. Yeah. So It makes it really kind of awkward, I think. Yeah. Because Zeb always feels like a bit of a background character. Yeah. 
pretty he's a good character though he's a good supporting character he's a good supporting character yeah but with that backstory he seems like he should be really important yeah <laughs> yeah when we just see him being what it amounts to like a regular soldier most of the time so like this is the episode that i think we we talked about in in a rebels talk part episode when we were doing season one at some point but um it was hinted that he's like a warrior mm-hmm. right and like this is kind of the reveal of those details so it was really about him for most of this episode what i didn't like about this episode was the fact that i've never liked these kind of episodes where they have like 20 minute prophecy sort of plot lines right super cheesy never works you didn't like the indiana jones staff I mean, like, it works over the course of, like, maybe a couple episodes or maybe something that has it's been... It's rushed, is what you're saying. It just, it's just rushed, man. Yeah, yeah. like, in, in 20 minutes, like, you get... Actually, it's less than 20 minutes because, like, the characters only reveal the prophecy or whatever in, like, the halfway point or, like, a quarter way through the episode. But, like, it's like, are you kidding me? Like, the... the, the I don't know. The results of this, of this prophecy that's so-called... I don't know. I just don't get it. Like, okay, if there are Lasats on this planet, why is there a prophecy for these, like, just to lead these two people there? To their home world. To their home world? Like, I just don't get it. Well, she said anyone can be any of the three things, the fool, the warrior, and the child. Yeah. Right? So it's like... I guess so. But that's like... The prophecy... So any prophecy... Anyone who's willing to... So the prophecy can just come true on just any Tuesday? I guess so. But I don't know, you I just, specifically need an honor guard staff and I, I guess the woman so. to sh- with her staff to show you the way. Because he recognized her. Yeah. So uh, is she like a, just a regular, like is a, a no, priestess? No, she's a... Is she she's, like the priestess? Yeah, no, she's, she's like, I think, part in, in, within the culture, I think she is probably a more notable person. Yeah. But, but is it like a priest at a church? Like they're I all think over? So. Or is it no, like I there's th- only the one, like the pope? I think it might be something like, you know, the Pope sort of thing. Like yeah, there's, so there's that means like, that she would have to lead you back there. I think so. She'd be the only one. I think so. Okay. Yeah, but the, I don't know. I just, it didn't really sit too well with so me. She like she dies, they're screwed. Okay, so, so <laughs> yeah, but like, here, here's the thing. In Clone Wars, there was also a, another really bad episode, kind of like this one, where, and there were some things that I liked about this one, just so you know, but like, the, the the whole prophecy in 20 minutes thing like there was another episode in clone wars that was like this and i just hated it Which and it was things? it was the one with uh no it was the one with with r2 and 3po and they're there on a planet where they go into like this underground tunnel and they meet there's like this whole world down there of like it was like a fairy tale it was like kind of reminded me of like thumbelina like there was like a riddle that they had to solve and there was like this fairy princess lady that like launched them back out of the underground on some sort of like water plant thing. They had to like put water in this like they had this to solve is a bizarre, riddle. Man. It, it was so I, strange. I think I repressed. And there was like tree like there was like tree like people. No, it was like season four. Really? Yep. They're at the stride. I'm very surprised by this. I don't remember. It, all it was that. the same story arc where R two and three PR are lost together yeah. for like a series of three episodes. So there was this, there was this one, and then at the end of, there was like a prophecy that was like you save our civilization kind of thing, and basically all it was was like twenty minutes of them figuring out they just need to like push the manhole cover back over like the underground <laughs> tunnel so that the yeah. pressure levelizes or whatever. 
Cause like the it was like releasing gas to the upper atmosphere right. and causing all these quakes. So, so like the episode was a there was this whole thing. prophecy yeah. for like and it was like are you kidding me like th- like just to like do that like, like, eh, like could have been the chosen one. Yeah, I was like man, like I mean, like I, all these prophecies and stuff like this. Like I'm I'm down for a good prophecy. Like and I know the Master and Apprentice book with Qui Gon and Obi Wan really gets into like there's more than just one chosen one prophecy out there. It's like there well there's one there's one chosen one prophecy, but there's other prophecies that have to do with other things, sure. you know, things that are foretold that will supposed to, you know, come to be. But it's just like getting an episode like this and like having it take place in 20 minutes and just like the cheesiness just kind of emanates off of it. Like, and then tying it's just it to, bad. The, to the Ashla and the Bogan. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, that I liked that. I like, I like the terminology they use for like the force. I like the idea that there's like yet another like force religion out there. Cause we know that that's like a thing, you know, there's like, there's like the Guardians of the Wills from Rogue One. There's the ch- the Church of the Force from The Force Awakens. There's the Jedi. There's the Sith. There's the Night Sisters. You know, they're they're all different, and they all look at the Force in a unique way. And now there's, uh, you know, the whatever they call themselves. You know, the the Lasat people. They have their own way of looking at the Force as well, right? So that I don't have a problem with. But what I did have a problem with was just the plot of like, why does there have to be a prophecy? Like why can't why, why can't you just tell the same story without the need for this event being foretold for the last hundreds hundreds of years, right? Maybe it's not that it's actually a prophecy because this woman maybe she just travels around and finds lost Lasats and because of their heritage, they're likely to go along with it because of that. Maybe, and but she's like just trying to help them get home can you imagine like the next the next week you know she they find her on coruscant you <laughs> know meeting another lasat like you are the child yeah. that will return us to our planet <laughs> yeah, yeah. that'd be so funny that'd be a really good touch yeah 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 it's just it's just not uh just like a traveling salesman yeah it's like not it's not Gron this time it's somebody else i'm a different lasat you know but like it's just you know, i was like man i i just can't do it like these these prophecy episodes they're just they just they just rub off as cheesy to me that's fair. Yeah. Yeah, and it's funny because you didn't mind the Indiana Jones staff part. Like, I don't mind that part as much. That part was fine. But t- to me, the lightning staff activating... That was weird. ...with the staff, the other lady's staff, to electrify the entire ship so it doesn't get torn apart by the maelstroms. That was strange. Uh, I, I think... Mean, how does that work? Okay, so I've would kind it, of... Would it work if it was a different ship? Like The way that I look at that is... Because the the bow staff transforms into something that the ancients used, right? And the sure. ancients were probably more heavily connected to the Force than the present moment people, the sun, right? So uh, the way that I th- I the way that I looked at it was there was some serious mystic stuff going on with Zeb's staff, which is also an ancient weapon, and the ghost, right? Like the, the Force is clearly involved in this moment. But the way that it interacts with his bow staff is something we've never seen before. It's not something we've ever seen with even a lightsaber. Like we know that a kyber crystal is a crystal that kind of communes and emanates with the force, right? But this bow staff is like sort of the equivalent of that, except it actually has like a physical effect, you know, like when it's doing its thing. And I thought, okay, how often do they use that function? Because 
That's a good question. I don't really know. Like, did they all drive their ships around like that? Like, <laughs> <laughs> just electrified. Like, all right, we need like to get the chorus on, or, or uh, we need to get to uh, to you know Jeddah or whatever. And it's like, all right, oh, I guess we'll uh, see you when we get there. And they do that thing, and then they all black out, and then they wake up, and they're there. You <laughs> they're know just I mean? there. Like, yeah, they're just there. It's like someone forgets to turn oh. off the ship and just get fried. What happened? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyways, it's um, a good question. Interesting stuff. If that's their homeworld, then they all must have taken that to get out. That's like their original native homeworld. Yeah. yeah. So like they migrated across the galaxy, somehow made it through this this maelstrom mm-hmm. into the known space. Right. I want to get into that too, actually. Yeah, because we know that the Chiss Ascendancy, like Thrawn's people, they're also from outside of the ga- the known space. They're also from the unknown regions. Yeah. And it's very difficult to get there. It's very difficult to navigate and find yeah, your way there, it's not right? Charted well. Exactly. Yeah. So. See that part? I'm. I don't have. That was cool. Yeah. But if you think about it logically, the map they're looking at was something that was saved on Chopper's hard drive. Yeah. So if they use magical force properties with the staff through a projector, how does it suddenly have more information that Chopper didn't originally have? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, how do you know? Like, how do you? So, because like Zeb pointed out, he's like, "That's the planet," but it's, it's like if it's rim. a charted planet, then it's not wild space. That's not uncharted. Clearly, it's in the hologram, right? Yeah, but it's saved somewhere. I don't know. Is it encrypted? Yeah. I don't know. Like, I don't know. I was a little confused. And that, that's the whole thing with like the prophecy element removed from this episode would have been so much better because it would have like cleared all that up. And it's like, oh, this is a planet that people know about and not necessarily prophesized or need need some rando to like guess it, you know, using like a magic staff and like a, you know, bunch of electricity or whatever. Like, I don't know. I, I just like for me, this episode just did not hit very well. Right. That being said, the music in this episode is fantastic. There was a really well done uh, score for when they go into the maelstrom, and when they oh yeah that was cool Honestly, that was great art and artistically around the maelstrom and the music it was like, awesome all, it was yeah. all awesome I love yeah. all of that some really nice effects going on too the, by the idea way. of like it being whatever protected lightning to get through I think is cool yeah how they do it I find annoying <laughs> yeah yeah exactly i think like the execution could have been better for the yeah. result that they wanted right exactly uh the introduction of lyra san that's where the the, the lasats now once again thrive outside of known space which explains their absence from the films whether we see it in live action again who knows did Zeb ever go down to the planet, or did they just he just dropped them off? They just I think they dropped them off, but um, yeah, he dropped them off and then came. You never actually back. see it, right? Because all, all you see is Ezra like, man, he's been gone a long time. Is he even coming back? Oh, there he is. Yep, yep. <laughs> that's that's a little weird to me. A yeah, guy it who is. Thought he was the last of his species, and he's so quick to leave the rest of his species when he finds out he's not the only one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's like, all right, I guess everything's all right here. Uh, let's go and uh, kill some imps. <laughs> See ya. See ya. <laughs> All right. Uh, Pablo points and poodoos. One poodoo. Oh, wow. Um, I'm going to go with a bendu, I think, just because I thought artistically it was really cool. All right. Sounds good. Uh, season two, episode 15, The Call, written by Bill Wolkoff, directed by Mel Zwire. Premiered February 10th, 2016 on Disney XD. Guest stars Fred Tadasquire, 
the Ghost crew is on a mission to capture a fuel shipment from the mining guild to the Empire in order to restock the Rebels' fleet's own dwindling supplies. While traveling to the guild's asteroid refinery, the Ghost encounters a flock of Purgle, space-traveling creatures whom Hera considers dangerous. However, Ezra establishes contact with them through the Force and learns that his crew and the Purgle actually pursue the same basic goal, if for slightly different priorities. Upon reaching the Mining Guild base, the crew finds the Mining Guild attempting to exterminate the Purgle. Kanan decides to raid the base, steal the shipment, while igniting the rest of the fuel to create a diversion. However, Ezra stops him when he realizes that the Purgle also need the fuel. When it appears as if the Mining Guild forces will overwhelm the crew, the Purgle arrive and attack the Mining Guild, giving the crew the time that they need to escape with the fuel. As the ghost flies away, the crew witnesses the Purgle going into hyperspace, confirming the rumors that they are a migratory species capable of faster-than-light travel without technology. Uh, so, what did you think of this one? It made me go, oh yeah, Purgles. Purgles. And then I immediately thought, is this what Anakin was talking about when he said, are you an angel? I hear deep space pilots talk about them. No, but that did come up in a Clone Wars episode. They went to that moon, mm-hmm. uh, to the moon uh, of Diego, mm-hmm. and there was an alien creature that showed up in that episode where their people were like being killed off and stuff. She was like maybe one of the last ones. And she was like in a cloak and she had, she was like glowing skin and she had big wings. Mm. So like that was, and he was there when he, and like he met that character. It was like him and Obi-Wan and uh, that kid named Jabo. You remember him? I don't remember Jabo, no. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. No, I, I kind of wish there were Purgles because it'd be really funny if he was like, Padme. Are you a Purgle? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's in his head. He's thinking like, oh, this is a beautiful thing. And then, yeah. lo and behold, there's just like a big whale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, are you a Purgle? <laughs> what's, <laughs> what's that? I hear they're giant space whales that jump in a sp- uh, in, into hyperspace. Deep space pilots deep, always talk. About deep them. space pilots always have plenty of stories about. Them. Uh, you're a funny little boy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So Purgles are introduced to Star Wars for those who want to know more. They are in this episode. So if you're not watching Star Wars Rebels, you're just tuning into what we summarize and talk about. Uh, it is season two, episode fifteen, "The Call." Um, so that's where you can find the first introduction of, of Purgles to Star Wars lore. I don't believe they're actually something that were in the EU either. No, I was going to just talk about that. Yeah. Like if you if you knew any more about that. No. I, I think they were introduced introduced specifically in this episode. They were, I believe. Yeah, I think this is like their first their first because um, the Star Wars the old appearance. canon was the what's their race. Cad Bane's race. Oh. Nemoid, no, no, Nemoid, offshoot of Nemoidian. Nemoidians are offshoots of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know what you're talking about. I'm blanking. I'm blanking. Duros. Duros, yeah, thanks. So Duros were, they're known as space engineers because they created the first oh. uh, hi- hi- hyperspace drives. In the EU. In the e- Yeah, I don't know if that still can or not. Cause Probably not. Originally, they just invented it. Yeah. But now the can is, well... It was invented based on biological... Yeah, 
properties, exactly. right? Yeah. Um, what's interesting about Purgle and why we care is in season three of Mandalorian, one of them is a shadow in the hyperspace tunnel that Grogu and Din Djarin travel through between two planets. You remember that? There's a Purgle there? Yeah, there's like a shadow of a Purgle in a hyperspace tunnel and Grogu sees it. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that was the end so, of this last season. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. So in the new trailer for Ahsoka, uh, for those who follow the Twitter feed, <laughs> may have noticed that I threw out a little question to Twitter, question to the room, and I said, is that a Purgle? Because <laughs> uh, in the latest Ahsoka trailer, there is something that very, very suspiciously looks like a Purgle. And uh, in another following up shot, there's a bunch of tentacles. So if I were to put the pieces together, I would say there's definitely a high chance that we're going to see some Purgle uh, in Ahsoka. And uh, what they have to do with that particular plot line is a lot to do with the connection that Ezra builds with the Purgles in this episode and his relationship with the Purgles as time goes by through the show and other creatures as well. But Purgles have a lot to do with, um, let's just say, how he disappeared in the first place. Season four. Season four. That's right. Purgle. Also how. Spoilers. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> Thrawn vanishes as well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, definitely a, a big deal, Purgle. And uh, you can watch more of them in this episode. I was surprised how much Hera hates them. Yeah, because I guess they've killed numerous pilot friends of hers. I think that you run, you run into them in hyperspace. Yeah, you, they get they into accidents. Have, yeah, they just smash into your ship or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Can you imagine saying that? Like, oh, yeah, what happened to him? Well, he was space like whales? hit by a giant space whale. Oh, shoot. It's like the equivalent <laughs> of being hit by a bus. Yeah, like it happens. But like when you, when you hear that, it's like it's kind of used as like a Kind of like a, I don't know, like a, a like a memeable way to go out. You know what I mean? Like, like it's like an expression. You know, it's like, oh, I feel like I was hit by a bus. You know what I mean? I feel like I was hit by a pergle. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's what I'm saying. That's what Is I'm that getting. What I was like, used in the podcast. In the future, on? I think if I'm tired, I think I'm got. That's what I'm gonna say. I'm like instead instead of yeah. instead of using the the phrase, oh, I feel like I was hit by a bus. I'll say I feel like I was hit by a pergle. All right. Uh, the Mining Guild TIE Fighters, they were equipped with basic shielding to protect the investment in the equipment and the training of the pilots. Makes sense. The, the Mining Guild also retrofitted the Starfighters with specialized sensors to detect and analyze valuable resources. Uh, they have a missing front couple of the solar panels on the wings yep. for better visibility when they're doing the mining jobs. Oh, that's why. That makes sense. It also makes them less agile and less maneuverable in combat. So uh, they look different. They're painted up yellow and uh, they're really, really cool. And I forget whether or not there's a Lego set for it. I vaguely think that exists. Yeah, who knows? It could. Might have been a fan thing, I saw. And I'm, I might also be thinking of the same thing, but I might also be misremembering it for one of those weird First Order TIE Fighters with the triangular wings. That was red, though. Black and red. It is red, yeah. It wasn't yellow. So I don't know. Can't remember. Uh, Hera doesn't like Purgle. Yeah, we already talked about that. Fuel thieves. I loved how the uh, the mining guild boss guy, who's like at the base, like he's like, he he calls them out. He's like, Oi, fuel thieves. 
it's like, I don't know. For some reason, I just thought, thought that was funny. Fuel thieves. Like, not just thieves. Yeah. Fuel thieves. Why not fuel snatchers? Fuel snatchers. Fuel, fuel snatchers. No, it doesn't have the same ring. <laughs> Petrol snatchers. Petrol snatchers. Now that that hits. That has the right <laughs> spot. That, 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 there we go. I think actually if you watch it in England, that's what they're, they're called. There's actually a, a dub there. Petrol snatchers. That's right. And then, you know what they call the, the guys that are in the TIE fighters wandering around checking stuff? Patrols. Was, yeah, yeah. Petrol, <laughs> petrol patrols. Nice. Yeah, so yeah. are you going with that? Uh, Ezra's connection to the Purgle, creatures in general, played up a lot in this episode. And the eyes of the Purgle, when he looks into them, they look like a hyperspace tunnel. That was cool, right? After they've consumed the fuel. Yeah. That was really cool. So I think the fuel that they get is specifically used for Yeah, it drives. is. It is. And so these whales then... They have to consume the fuel in order to make jumps. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, I thought that was cool. Yeah. I will say that Hera's decision to fly there with exactly enough fuel was a very stupid decision. Yeah. She's not been uh, great as a pilot recently. Being bested by... by uh, what's Mandalorians? Her? Yeah. Fan Rao. Fan Rao, yeah. Bested by Fan Rao in, in aerial combat and then now hitting space whales. and Yeah, it's not looking good. Why don't you just go with them instead of driving into them? No. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was so dumb, man. Like it's like you get the kid to actually like tell you like the obvious solution. Like yeah, it's like really. Anyways, uh, Ezra riding a pergol is not necessarily as epic as Boba Fett on the back of a Rancor, but <laughs> it was still cool, I guess. Sure. And uh, do I want to see it again? It's kind of like Free Willy. Someone rode Free Willy? Yeah, it doesn't... Yeah, the kid, like... I don't know. I haven't seen it. Yeah, I think so. You ever watch Free Willy? It's a 90s movie. Dude, I I think, like, okay, I I believe I've seen it once when I was, like, four. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe five. He definitely rides Free Willy. He holds on to the dorsal fin. They go for a swim. Oh, man. I I can't remember that. Um, Yeah. As we're riding a purgle. Uh, that has the hyperspace ending. That was cool. You know, they use the tentacles to jump after they consume the gas. They're able to launch themselves into hyperspace. So that was kind of interesting. Pablo points or Pudus. This is a weird one because it feels it like it should be a filler, but because we know what happens later, it's actually really important. Yeah, <laughs> so. it is a weird one. I'm going to give it a Bendu because of that. Yeah, I think the same thing. I think normally if I didn't know that ahead of time, I'd probably give it like at least one Pudu. But because <coughs> when this episode came out, I hated the Pergola. They were so stupid. The space world, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the problem is the things that make them seem extra stupid Makes you question all the monsters that somehow survive in space. Yeah. So, <laughs> although w- still one of the coolest, like most badass ones I've ever seen is the one in Solo that that giant octopus thing. The what's it called? Electric Lamont or something like that. I don't know. Lando calls it something. Lamont. I thought I thought he called it Lamont or something like that. I don't know. Maybe, like maybe I'm may, maybe I'm botching the name, but it just sounded like Lamont. Yeah. I don't know. Lemon in French. It was cool. Like it was creepy looking. And then there's also those giant. Yeah. 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 And then um, 
there's also, I mean, we, we know that there's space creatures, of course, because, like, those giant worms in yeah. Empire Strikes Back. That's the thing. It was all back to the original trilogy. Yeah, so it's not weird that there's, like, Maybe space just, animals. But is it just weird that they could use hyperspace? I think that's the weird part. Yeah. Yeah. The weird part is definitely the hyperspace connection. How do they swim in space? And I see why they did it. I believe in one of the, the Rebels recons, which... Ironically enough, you know, maybe we'll start playing those, you know, when we talk about these episodes going forward, because I feel like that would be kind of a good thing to throw in. I haven't had anyone send us a message about. No one remembers you know, them. I forgot that they yeah, existed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we, we should probably we should, we should do that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, again, if you guys want to contact us and let us know your feedback on Rebels Talk, any requests that you might have, whatever, uh, you know how to get in touch with us. It's down in the description below. So, um, yeah. Bendu for me. Yeah, agreed. Season 2, episode 16, Homecoming. Directed by Bosco Ng. Written by Stephen Melching. Guest stars Fred Tatasquire and premiered February 17th, 2016 on Disney XD. In order to provide a safe shelter for their fighters, the Rebels plan to capture an Imperial carrier currently stationed above Ryloth, Hera's home planet. In order to pull the mission off, the Ghost crew contacts Hera's father, the famed Twi'lek resistance fighter, Cham Syndulla. However, Cham desires to destroy the carrier as a demonstration of power and only grudgingly agrees to capture it. Hera later tells Ezra that she and her father are not on the best of terms, as Hera believes Cham is obsessed with the Twi'lek resistance, while Cham believes Hera's faith in the rebellion is misguided. Piloting the captured TIE bomber, Hera successfully infiltrates the crew and Cham's team into the carrier, but Cham's team betrays them and moves to destroy the carrier. Ezra uses the Jedi mind trick on the captain to have the crew abandon ship while Zeb and Sabine subdue Cham's men. Hera convinces Cham to help her and they destroy the pursuing Imperial cruiser, achieving a, the demonstration that Cham wanted. After adding the carrier to the rebel fleet, Hera and Cham reconcile the relationship before parting ways. Uh, what did you think of this one? I liked it. I thought it was a lot of fun. There's a lot going on. I like seeing Cham again from Clone Wars. Yeah. Uh, seeing that. And uh, Bad Batch now, too. That's true. Yeah. That wasn't out yet. That wasn't out there at the time, yeah. It's becoming a very uh, prominent Twi'lek. That's right. Yeah. The first time we see Hera use her native accent, I think. Yes. Yeah. Hera's accent returns speaking to her father, like arguing with him. It's almost like the... The mask is off, you know? It's almost like, to me, she get she purposely tries not to speak like a Twi'lek mm -hmm. around other people because I guess maybe she just has either Could be to hide her negative, identity. She's royal. Yeah, maybe that. And also, though, to... Well, that's the thing, though. Is, is, is she royalty? Like... I think so, because isn't Cham, like... He's just an important freedom fighter. I don't know if he's, like, royal. Oh, is he not? Oh, okay. I thought yeah. he was, like, the leader. No. No, but but what's interesting, though, is that she purposely kind of does it as a way of disconnecting herself from her past. Yeah. And also her sort of toxic relationship with her father, father I think. But um, it might also just be a an identity thing because like she has always wanted to like escape Ryloth and leave and like fly right? yeah. and get out of there like Luke you know born and raised on a dust ball and like he just wants to he just wants to get out of there and leave right and uh, same with Anakin someday I'm gonna become a pilot and fly away from this place um, 
Yeah, what did you uh, what did you think about it? Better accent, about the connection there. Yeah, I think you're on to something there. I do think that she's definitely trying to hide part of that, for yeah. sure. Uh, it's interesting because I know people who, like, they were born in the UK. And because uh, they left at a young age, but they still grew up in a household that had the accent. They turn it on and off. It's really weird. Mm. So, because I've been around them where they're with their family and they have an English accent. And then when they were around their friends, they have like a local accent. Yeah. And it's, they just switch back and forth. Even just like make a phone call for like a reservation, a restaurant. And it's just like no accent at all. Hmm. Yeah. I guess it's a way of adapting, yeah, a way of kind of fitting in right into into certain environments and don't want to call attention to it yeah 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 exactly um i've got i like my 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 mom she she was also english accent as a kid and came to canada and um grew up and very much intentionally tried to lose her accent mm -hmm. she didn't want it she wanted to fit in as much as possible didn't want yeah. the accent right um, people can still tell, <laughs> but yeah, it's just one of those things, I guess. Like, you know, there's some kind of grain of reality there and I, th I really liked it. I was like, that's really, really cool. And I guess it also could have been the kind of thing that was sort of established, I guess, when the character was created, perhaps they didn't want her character to constantly have the French Sindula Twi'lek accent. Yeah. Right. Do you think it's also tied to a lot of the slave dancing culture? Maybe, but like, yeah, that's also another thing, right? Because like, I think she very much tries to be a very strong, independent Twi'lek woman who yeah. clearly has some skills to demonstrate. Yeah, she wants to be known as a pilot. Yeah, and I think it's part of like the accent to her might represent something that she doesn't want to be associated with. Yeah. I right. Can see that. Yeah. That's also part of the reason why anytime we see her, she's in like, you know, baggy overalls and and like engineering looking mm. sort of pilot looking costume, right? Like like most Twi'leks that we've seen in the films and even in the animated series have relatively worn quite skin fitting clothing. Yeah, they're usually end up being paid dancers. Yeah, that too. Yeah. Really I think we've for the women, we've only seen dancers and then a Jedi. Yeah. Yeah. Even in Clone Wars, I feel like we've seen like Twi'leks numerously like wearing like jumpsuits and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like not necessarily always like Jabba, the hot level scandalous stuff, but still at least like not super baggy clothing. Like Hera is clearly trying to distance herself from, from what she's come from. I think so too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, notable character returning to this episode is Numa and Gobi. Uh, Numa and Gobi, yeah, as sidekicks to uh, to Cham, uh, who uh, is leading the the bunch. Numa was a small girl in the Clone Wars who was rescued by clone troopers Waxer and Boyle in the Ryloth arc. She was oh, that, that's the same. Twi that's the same Twi'lek. Oh, see, I didn't know that. Yeah, the one with the stuffy that was yeah. trying to find her mom. Yeah, for a long time we always speculated that was Hera. Well, Hera comes into the bad bat. Well, no, I mean her name is Numa in the Clone Wars, but like, I think the yeah, the, I think that there was probably a fair few of us that were like, oh, is that the same character? And then maybe rewatch that episode. And we're like, oh no, she her name's Numa. But um, 
Yeah. But that it, was, it was cool to see her come back. And it was cool to see Gobi return because in the Clone Wars, Gobi is like Charm's right-hand man, right? So he's still alive. He's in the Bad Batch as well. And um, first time Cham was revealed to Hera's, as Hera's father, uh, although I believe we always knew her last name. Sindula, yeah. Yeah. So, like, we always knew there was a connection there, but this is the first time that they finally kind of brought that in. They clearly have different ways of being a rebel. Um, and uh, Kanan meeting Cham for the first time was super funny. Like, he's gets, like he gets, like, stressed out and yeah. you know, gets that- all, like... Meeting the dad for the first yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, you know? that reminded me, like, oh, right, they're supposed to be dating. Yeah. As another... It's easy to forget that in the show. That's the thing. Because, because I think because it's on Disney XD, there's really not a lot of romance. They drop the romance a lot, yeah. And so it feels more like they're just, like, work friends. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's part of the part of the thing, right? Like, when we... And we talked about this in, in the Rebels Talk Part 1 when we were talking about uh, A New Dawn. Like the Rebels, the prelude novel, mm-hmm. which kind of tells the story of Kanan and Hera before the crew of the Ghost comes together. And um, I know one thing that we, you and I are both not very fond of is the continuity of that relationship going from the book to the show, as well as the character of Kanan Jarrus from the book to the show. It's a maturity thing. It's like mm-hmm. a difference in target audience. And yet the character of Anakin and in Clone Wars versus the films is, even though he's voiced differently, the character doesn't change that much, right? And I, I think, again, I think it comes down to a maturity of audience, like who the show's made for. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that's exactly what it is. It's, it's weird though how like in the first season it almost felt like there was ro- more romance between Ezra and Sabine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. Right. I'm trying um, to think compared to Resistance, because that's even a younger audience. There's like no romance in that. There's a little think. bit. The Is main there? guy, he's yeah, he's interested in the Kaz. The, the Kaz is interested in the girl whose father runs the uh, the sh- right the platform. Right, right. Yeah, I guess he gets a little flustered at times, but no, I, there's nothing serious that goes on there though. I no, don't I don't think. It, from what I remember, if it goes anywhere, I don't no, think so. no, I don't think so. Um, what do you think of this one, Pablo Points or Pudus? I liked it. I think there's a little bit more to talk about before we get into it, though. I think I want to talk about the the uh, the ship that they steal. Oh, the giant cruiser. Yeah, because that's an again another EU ship that they brought back. Right, the big tie, the big tie carrier. Yeah, ship. we never again. We never see that anywhere else. We never see it again. Yeah, but that ship. I remember it specifically from the old Nintendo sixty four game called uh, Star Wars. What's it called? Rogue Squadron, I think. So it's called a Quasar Fire Class Cruiser, and in Star Wars Legends, it showed up. In oh number of stories here. There's a lot of stuff. Yeah. It's been yeah. Um, Knight Errand. That was mentioned only. That was a novel uh, written in 2011, actually just before the buyout. And then uh, it showed up in X-wing Rogue Squadron yeah. issue number 22. Mm-hmm. It also showed up in Star Wars. Tie Fighter, which you're right, that's a old LucasArts game from '94. Mm-hmm. It's been around a long time. Yeah, yeah it's it been around a, a while. Rebel ship, which is interesting. 
It was always a rebel ship? Yeah. At least, like, one of the games I played, it was, like, the rebel ship that everyone launched. Oh, interesting. All the X-Wings and stuff from, which is what they stole it for here. Right. So it's been recanonized. I th- I'm sure it was always a... It's a good call. ...imperial ship that was stolen. Yeah. Because it kind of has a shape of a Star Destroyer. Right. That would make sense. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. That's, uh, that's a good call out. Definitely, uh... Something of note. I, I, you know, I haven't seen this ship though in in any of the films, so it makes me wonder. Yeah, kind they of, keep doing that. That's the other problem. I can't remember what happens to it in the show. If if anything does happen to it, why is it not there for a new hope? I don't know, but it's probably there in the Rise of Skywalker <laughs> at the very end. Well, uh, the other th- okay. Not sure. This is, this has actually been something on the back of my head for a while now. So, in a New Hope. The rebel cell that fights the, the Death Star is quite small. Yep. There's a handful of X-Wings, right? And they all launch out of... Um, what's that planet? Yeah, but... You're right. Yeah. But we know from Rebels, uh, as well as... I guess we're even Rogue One, that there's still a lot... There's, like, the Rebellion is quite large. So this ship could exist... Somewhere else. It almost feels like what we see in A New Hope hmm. is just one cell. Yeah. It's supposed to be already combined. It does feel small, weirdly. You're talking about like the response to the Death Star, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it does feel strangely small that they wouldn't launch more. But then again, it is part of the military operation to only have a fighter go into the trench. Right, sure. so maybe their plan was to conserve as many of the more useless in battle ships that they would have. I don't. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. By the time we get to uh, Return of the Jedi, they have a full fleet. So like these yeah. s- other portions of the alliance, different cells or whatever, they have to be around. And yeah, and also like it's it's kind of worth remembering. This is. And, and this is why I have such a hard time referring to this era as what they called it in the old EU, which was the Galactic Civil War. Right. Because I always thought that the Clone Wars was a much more appropriate time period for that terminology. Galactic Civil War. That's exactly what the Clone Wars was, was right. a Galactic Civil War. The Rebels versus the Empire, to me, that never really felt true to what it what it's called. Because it wasn't necessarily... It's smaller. It's smaller, yeah. yeah. It wasn't necessarily entire star systems of planets betraying the Empire, right? Like, it was it was people coming together on those planets, not necessarily the planet and their leader themselves, right? And yes, it did get there, eventually, sort of, in a way. But it was much more small scale. It wasn't like we're in rebel space now, right? Like, it's like the rebels are right. always on the run. They're always in imperial territory, sort of, and never really in a safe spot. Whereas, like, during the Clone Wars, like, Coruscant is a relatively safe spot. That's in the heart of Republic territory. There's no way... That's why the, the Battle of Coruscant is such a big deal, because, like, the Separatists have to come in, break through those Republic lines, mm-hmm. you know, guarding their territory, their space. That's Civil War, where there's, like, a border. You know what I mean? Yep, that's interesting. So, like, I've never really agreed with, like, the terminology of the era. 
and uh, but it's important is it to remember. Just a heritage name because it's just kind of always copying. I that. think I think so, but also I think it is also important to remember that the sliver of story that we have in A New Hope. I mean, there is more going on out there, but I've always thought, oh, this is the end of the rebellion if they blow up Yavin, right? Yeah, I've always felt that too. I mean, that's kind of what the movie was. Because Vader says that too, like, you know, we've seen the end of Kenobi, it will soon see the end of the rebellion. Leave now, in our moment of triumph? Yeah. like To wipe them out with one swift stroke. Yeah, it's always seemed to me like that's like the, that's the pinnacle, like all the rebels are there, like on the Yavin, right? So, I don't know, throwing massive fleet ships now in the mix and uh, prior to, you know, and I know that the Battle of Scarif, like, they had a lot of losses, but at the same time, it's just like, there must be, like, something left. Like, where did they hide those ships, right? Well, well, we know the Mon Cal's have been involved for most of it as well, and that didn't show up till Jedi. That was between, yeah, so between Episode 5 and 6, the Mon Cal's get involved with the Rebellion a lot more. Mm -hmm. And that's where most of their fleet is built from in episode six. But yeah, it is an interesting question, right? Like I would love a sideline story to A New Hope, which sort of like tells the story of maybe other rebels that just like weren't on Yavin. They were like, oh shoot, let's, let's, let's go boys. Like, let's run, you know, save the rebellion, save the dream. (laughs) Save the rebellion, save the dream. Book on it. Book on it. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give this episode 1.5 Pablo points. Yeah, I'm right there. A two is definitely too much. Yeah. One also feels safe. Kind of an area. Yeah. But I think there's enough positive going on. Yeah. Our listeners must be so bored because we just review everything with the same opinion. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But then again, though, it's a fairly consistent show, right? Like, I I don't want to be too hard on it. But at the same time, it's a fairly consistent show. Like, there isn't, like, standout, massively awesome episodes and then, like, super, super bad ones. Whereas, like, I feel like in Clone Wars, it was a little more diverse. Well, it's not even that because if it's really good or really bad, then, again, never have the same opinion. That's true. You've got to have that's more controversial. That's true, yeah. Because, like, again, like, Clone Wars at the very end, like, there was some stellar episodes in there. Like, just one after the next. But it's also very hard to rank those episodes one at a time because there's more story arcs in that series. Whereas in Rebels, it's more kind of week by week. Like, there's some two-parters in there for sure. But it's more just, like, and there's carryover. But it's not like you have to watch these three together to get, like, one story. Right. It's like you're kind of well, just know, taking it as it comes. But Bad Batch, I felt like we had different opinions more on Bryce too. Yeah, that was more like Rebels. It was more like kind of week to week, certain, hit or miss. Yeah. Not really like story arc based stuff. Yeah, it's true. Felt very similar. It's small crew, make, one ship, right. kid involved. You know. Basically the same thing. It's basically Clone Wars version of Rebels. Yeah. I blow everyone's mind. You could argue that Clone Wars was also the same. It's just was Anakin and Ahsoka. Yeah, but it was also like there were entire story arcs that were like bounty hunters and like night sisters and like separatist stories and like Sith and like Yoda and like, you know, you got some really awesome stuff, right? You think what went wrong is Disney said make it more like the original trilogy, which is like three or four characters. 100%. 
that was one of the reasons why I didn't actually like that was one of my gripes when the show first like started. Yeah. Was I didn't like the fact that it was just about the same characters every single week. Plus, no story arcs. And I was like, that's how you tell a good story is when you have like three episodes, four episodes in a row. Mm-hmm. Like the Umbara arc in Clone Wars, that's like four episodes. It's really good. That's and it's so the best good. It's good. Series. Yeah, because it's so in, in depth, right? Like you, it's just about the clones. Because you have the screen time to not, you, like, you don't need to shove so much story information in 22 minutes. And that's a challenge, right? Oh, yeah. So to be able to have the luxury to split it up over four episodes and to really kind of, you know, slowly integrate the audience into what's going on like that sort of helps i think the the narrative the pacing and it's more what we're used to to no they haven't and it's more what we're used to when we watch a movie that's what happens right like it's like two two and a half hours i mean short kind of less intense movies are an hour and a half but like all the good ones i mean if you you watch really like crazy good blockbuster movies avatar 2 avengers endgame you know, like movies like that. They're Lord like of the Rings extended editions. Lord of the Rings. Yeah, we're we're talking three, four hour movies, right? They don't have to be like that to be good, though. They don't have to be, but in my opinion, on like, average, like two. Like pitch, they're usually pitch, pitch like Black's great, and that's two hours. Yeah, I mean, there's good movies that are less than two and a half hours, but I'm, I'm like, I mean, like Especially all of those stuff. big, huge, you know, like the best kind of stories, they have the time to develop, right? Sure. And I think that's the biggest criticism that people give like movies that are made or translated from a book because it's such a good story that they can't fit in two hours. I want to see them do all the Harry Potter books in one movie. What? <laughs> <laughs> That's the point. Why would you want to see that? <laughs> It'd be like super rushed, right? Man, it would feel like some sort of <laughs> like, like... a montage. Yeah, like a montage of, <laughs> of shots. Like... <laughs> Stuff just gets faster and faster because it's like trying to condense it down. Yeah, just like go from like you're a wizard, Harry, to like Harry Potter must not go to Hogwarts this year. (laughs) (laughs) To Harry Potter, the boy who lived. (laughs) You know, yeah, it just just flashed through the whole thing. Oh my gosh, Harry, look out for your uncle while you're in the wizarding try wizard cup. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man! All right, well, uh, I mean that's that's all we got for today. Um, giveaway real quick. Do you want to, you want to quickly talk about the giveaway? Sure. So Orbit Key sent us some sweet swag and it could be yours. So we got a raffle going on. So there'll be some stuff in the description. Check it out. Sign up. Uh, there's going to be different options for a different key ring organizer. Josh and I have yeah, both. the retro series. Yeah. Josh and I both been using them for well, I think year, almost two years now. Yeah, about maybe. a year. About yeah, a year. Yeah. Yeah. Time, time means nothing to me anymore. Yeah. So, and they've actually been quite handy. It's something that just keeps all your, your keys together. Star Wars theme. You have to worry about scratching your your, your phone screens anymore. Yeah. You about the jangle in your, in your in your pocket. Comes uh, it comes with a multi tool optional, so you can open your beers if yeah. you're legal drinking age. I don't know if they sell Cokes anymore with bottle caps. Multi, probably find that too. Multi-tool sold separately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's like a Swiss Army knife for your keys. It's awesome. It's uh, so hit the link in the description. Throw your name in the giveaway. Thank you, sir, for that. And uh, we'll see you in the next episode of Star Wars Escape Pod. Come by picture in the Palace Zoo. <laughs>
<laughs> Smooth. <laughs> See you out there. Keep flying. All right. Thank you so much to our audience for tuning in, as always, and uh, for sticking with us on this journey to Ahsoka through Star Wars Rebels. And every week, a new episode of Rebels Talk. Actually, we're going to be accelerating that motion, and we're going to be putting out probably about two per week. So uh, if you want to keep up with all what we got to offer, definitely follow us on the socials at Podcast. Email is SWEscapePodcast at gmail.com. All are listed in the description below, as well as each week with the Rebels episodes that we watch, so you can watch before you listen. Uh, that being said, looking forward to seeing uh, what we got next up on Rebels Talk, and we'll see you in the next episode of Star Wars Escape Pod. May the Force be with you. 